Sri Guru Vaishnava Guru Good evening, everyone. Nice to be back with you again. This is our last uh, gathering here, as I understand it. And um, it's been quite a nice experience for me thus far. And um, as the schedule calls for, we'll... Um, open the floor for questions. Any questions? Yes? Um, could you explain the relationship between Yoga Maya and Radharani? Well, that's a pretty interesting theological question that some people might need some background um, information before the question even registers. Uh, so let me try to offer that. We had spoken this morning to some extent about the concept of Leela and the difference between Leela and Karma. Leela being, or Karma being obligatory work in as much as um, there are fruits to tend to when seeds you sow or when you eat there are other things that happen. <laughs> there are consequences of that. Um, so this is the idea of the karmic impl implications. We, did, we compared it to negative numbers in relation to zero, hmm? which if coming to from negative numbers, zero takes a positive, has a positive connotation to become free from karmic debt and implication. Uh, is to come from negative numbers to zero. When we speak about Leela, then we're speaking about positive numbers. A kind of movement in transcendence, the, uh, the fuel for which, if you will, is bhakti itself. So bhakti makes Brahman the absolute dance or move. Hmm? Uh, bhakti is a, is, a, is a kind of shakti. Parasya Shakti Vibhidaiva Shriyate. So, as the Shruti says, uh, the, the um, Absolute is possessed of numerous Shaktis. The idea is just like I'm a person and I have Shakti. Uh, so, by my Shakti, I do different things, and, and we all do, right? So, you could say, I know Swami, um, he writes books, I read his books. So you're talking about me in relation to something that I do by my power, if you will, my shakti. And by talking about me in relation to what I do, you may know me quite well, because what I am is what I do, even though what I do is different than what I am. I'm talking about a very interesting idea here that there's of a unity and a difference. So. We think that the absolute is one, but it's it's different at the same time by way of its shaktis. Shakti and bhakti in particular, the primary shakti, creates some variety in transcendence, some movement in transcendence. That which is everywhere, as we were saying this morning, how can it move? Hmm? That would appear to be a contradiction, but love has the power to... Um, resolve all contradictions. Hmm? Uh, and love is something that does not answer to reason, right? 
We say love knows no reason. That could be a bad thing in material existence only because the love that knows no reason is only the shadow of real love. On the other side, however, when the love becomes wise, when we've come to that zero point and are no longer ignorantly involved in attachment to things that don't endure in the pursuit of enduring happiness. You see, that's folly. You follow me? If I want enduring happiness, and everyone does, which means perfect knowledge, because actions are informed by knowledge. So perfect knowledge would mean the knowledge by which I knew how to act such that I became perfectly happy. So we want enduring happiness. When we pursue our happiness, enduring happiness, in relation to things that don't endure, well, don't expect to be successful. <laughs> so this is this ignorance, and this is then the karmic implication. We're attached to things, and um, we take from the environment, and so we owe to the environment. So some, with some wisdom, like the wisdom of the Buddha we were talking about, so when we come to zero, that's a positive, I want to say, in relation to negative numbers. And then on the other side, then, is there any movement after shanti, shanti, shanti? The peace of knowing, ah, I don't have to, I, I don't have to struggle to exist. I am. Hmm? I don't have to fight it out. I am. I'm not what I thought I was, but I'm more than that. And that, me, is not going to be threatened is not threatened by non-existence. So, then what to do? Is there any, is there any movement in that existence? This is the idea of, of Leela then. So, karma is movement out of a perceived obligation that's not real. I don't really need to eat to live as far as being a unit of experiential existence that I am. I need to eat to live in terms of the identity that's been created, hmm? the false identity in my mind owing to attachment to things that makes me what I am materially. You know, I'm a person who feels it's either too warm in this room or it's too cold in this room or that, that the colors are nice or they're not nice or uh, it's good or it's bad or it's happy or it's sad or... Our happies, our sads, our goods, our bads. This is all a world of the mind that we've created, whether it's good or bad. Or this is just a judgment, right, that the mind places on the environment based on information it's received from the senses, sights, sounds, smells, and so forth. And I live in that little world of the mind. It's very small. It's very uncomfortable. Of course, I want everybody else to live inside of it. That's very unreasonable. <laughs> so to come out of the world of the mind, the small world of the mind, and see that you're really small, because you're allowed to think you're big inside of your own little mind world, but you're actually small. But to truly come out in the full sense of the term, you meet who is actually big. And he's very friendly, very affectionate, and so forth. So there's a possibility of movement in relation to that significant, as I put it this morning, consciousness other. And so there's the movement in relation to uh, to the Godhead, that's what we call Leela. Hmm? So this is movement not out of a perceived uh, false necessity, out of feeling empty, but movement out of feeling full. Just like you feel so full you decide to dance. 
you don't dance because you need to dance. I think I need to do some dancing. Or, I mean, maybe usually it's, it's more like, I'm feeling like good. I think I'll dance, something like that. So what orchestrates the dance and the, the love life of the Absolute, that is bhakti. It has this power, like I'm saying, that love has to resolve all contradictions. So while we say that the God is everywhere, so if you're everywhere, how can you move? Hmm? Therefore, we may think that by identification with God, we'll become still. It's true. We'll become still in relation to the false movements of material existence, where you don't really go anywhere, but you're kind of going up the down escalator, or down, you know, up or down, as something like that. You're not really getting anywhere. You're getting in debt only. Hmm? So, anyway, to get out of the debt, so to speak, and come to knowledge, come to wisdom, hmm? then from there, uh, to, to, to find a movement in the absolute, what, what, how, could the, how could the absolute move if it's everywhere? That seems contradictory. But this is the power of bhakti. Hmm? This is one of the shaktis of Bhagwan, the primary shakti, and it causes a kind of movement. We call it lila because, well, lila means play. So if something's everywhere, you can kind of say, well, really, it really can't move, but it could play as if it's moving, something like that. Hmm? But the play becomes more real than the non-movement, if you will. Hmm? It, it, absolute, Bhagavan Brahman becomes animated by love. This is the idea. Hmm? So, therefore, in bhakti, for example, Krishna bhakti, as a devotee of Krishna, in, in, in my particular lineage, you may, you may find us saying, Jai Radhe. Hmm? So Jairadi means like uh, the question was, what's the difference between Radharani and Yogamaya, right? Something like the relationship. relationship. So these are two terms that come up in the context of of understanding some details about Leela. One of the details I'm explaining is that Leela is the orchestrating the movement of that which is everywhere hmm, through the power of love. Radha who stands next to Krishna, many of those nice paintings, is the personification of love that Krishna is the perfect object of. So if you could have the perfect object of love, then the perfect love embodied. This is what is meant by Radha and Krishna. In order for there to be movement, which love constitutes, there has to be these two, right? There has to be the object of love, and then there has to be the love. We call this movement, another way to call it is rasa. Rasu vaisaha, as the Upanishads say. Brahman is rasa. It mean, it, it's, so it's positing some, there is possibility of movement there. Hmm? So we pursue, for example, the love that Radha embodies hmm? in relation to the perfect object of love, Krishna. Now, when I speak about it like that, Radharani is also sometimes called Bhakti Devi. Devi means the goddess. She's the goddess of Bhakti. Hmm? So we venerate the goddess of Bhakti more than we venerate, if you will, Krishna. Because after all, Krishna is Brahman, conquered by love. 
taken off of his throne. That's why he's, he's just a, got a peacock feather and he's not sitting on a throne. Hmm? And sometimes he's found in the Leela, like picking a clover. She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me. She lo and his friend will say, Subal will say, she loves you. Radhe. Then he gets encouragement, something like that. This is, this is very sweet. This is, this is, again, this is, I said earlier today, that if the finite is to get close to the infinite, in order for that to happen, really, the finite, the infinite has to take on a finite-like appearance. Otherwise, you won't be able to get close because you'll think, oh my God, I'm next to the infinite, and I feel really finite in comparison. So I'll be repelled into a kind of a reverential love. You follow me? In the reverential love, there's the, there's the worshiper, and then there's the worshipped. In Krishna Bhakti, we seek to bridge the gap between the worshiper and the worshipped, which is what love does. Do you understand? Let us say this. Love is born out of sacrifice. Okay? But when it grows up, there's, there's no sacrifice in love. In other words, you don't feel the pain. Hmm? Any mother knows that love is a sacrifice, right? Hmm? Or father, for that matter. <laughs> and, but then, when... So the different kinds of bhakti. There's bhakti that culminate, culminates in reverential love, like this, Om Narayan. Hmm? And then there's bhakti, like in Krishna bhakti, hmm? that makes people more animated and dancing and carefree, and the Godhead is depicted as a cowherd. Means, a cowherd means a jungle person. You know? Narayana is a form of Krishna, has four arms. Four arms means what? It's like Mother says sometimes, what do you want? I don't have four arms. Wait. You know, the children are pulling. I don't have four arms. So uh, the idea is, who has four arms? This is God. Mm. But Krishna, you may notice, is depicted as two-handed, two-armed. Mm. So he's, he's, he's God, but he's not acting like God. Mm. If he acted like God, how close could you get to him? Mm. Therefore, he means God acting like one of us coming to us on our terms. And what is the force of that that makes that possible? The measure of the love, the measure of the bhakti. Hmm? It's dethroning him, so to speak. He's, this is a soft spot. This is the Achilles heel of the absolute. What is that? Love. That's his soft spot. After all, huh? oh, so many people talk about God, but what do they want? Many people pray to God for things. That's like saying, God, please give me ignorance. It's okay, okay, all right. You know, because the best things in life are not things, right? Hmm? Things are the objective world, objective world of matter. We are of the subjective side, consciousness. As I've said earlier, we're infinitely more valuable than matter, which wouldn't matter if, if we didn't matter about it. Hmm? If matter mattered independently of consciousness, well, who would know about it? <laughs> who would care about it? So there's infinitely more value. In fact, without consciousness, there is no value. Value is consciousness-based, not matter-based. Hmm? That's why I say, if you want to take the supernatural, hmm? if you want to take the subjective, 
and not allow it to be supernatural and try to reduce it to the natural world, hmm? you've reduced all the possibility of meaning out of life hmm? in any, any meaningful sense. Hmm? But if you appropriately understand consciousness to be uh, transcendental and, and, and supernatural, that which does not conform ultimately to natural laws, which doesn't die, for example, when the organism dies. Hmm? Oh, how much meaning that life has become invested with. Hmm? So, so anyway, a uh, consciousness-based uh, life. This is what we were interested in. And in that context, we are also looking for in Krishna Bhakti, a life of uh, intimate uh, rapport with the absolute rather than reverential uh, rapport. Hmm? So Krishna is, is, is two-handed and is the Achilles heel, as I say, of the absolute is this love because people approach God for so many different things. I, I, they approach mostly for things. Give me my bread, my daily bread. Um, Give me this, give me that. I mean, it's not only in Catholicism or Christianity, it's in Hinduism. They got this song, Oh, God, give me this, and God, give me that. And waving the lights, you know. And God, give me this, and God, give me that. It's all in Sanskrit. But, you know, it's, <laughs> don't, be, don't get fooled, it's the same thing. This is the common appeal to God. Like I said earlier, you know, God's in the balcony. The main stage is down here. You know, we just open the balcony every now and then and close the curtain, you know, real life's down here. But no, so this, this, is, this, is a, this is a very childish approach to God. Give me, give me, give me, I want, I want. Hmm? And you don't even know what's worth wanting, so you just want. Hmm? So th this, is, this is the karma marg. Hmm? Actually, people want that we approach God for things. How, how, how childish. You're not a thing. As I said, you're so much more valuable a thing. You give a thing value. Independent of you, it would have no value. Hmm? But you want things. How confused. And then you want to ask God for it. Well, all right, so it's something. Hmm? But it doesn't really turn him on, so to speak. Yeah, it's not like going to make him dance. The, the absolute, that's kind of like, okay, back to sleep, you want something, take it. Yeah. So then, then other people are more wise, hmm? and they realize that the best things in life are not things, and that I'm not a thing, I'm consciousness. So they want to separate themselves from, from attachment to things that they might be free. Hmm? Because when my identity is based on attachment to things, well, all things pass, as they say, George said. Well, so they all pass, so you know, it's problematic. So I don't want an identity based on attachment to things. I want an enduring identity, so I can't have my identity built on, fabricated out of attachment to things that I can't keep. Hmm? So I don't want things. That's getting in the way. I cannot ha have an, 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 a happy life 
neither an enduring life in relation to things that don't endure, that have no happiness inherent in them. There's no happiness there. Hmm? What is the happiness in a thing? Why do you like a thing? Because you're inside of it by the two letters my, that's why. Hmm? Because it's my car, I like it. If it gets in a crash, it's a problem. If your car gets in a car, well, you know, <laughs> it's not a big deal. Hmm? It's just the same metal and rubber and everything, but my made a big difference. I'm inside of it. I consciousness that I am has project, projected itself into things, and those things now are valuable. But it's really not the things that are, if you trace it out, that are the object of your amour, of your love. It's you. Hmm? You are the, what's valuable. You are what's attractive. Hmm? So someone, a wise person can trace that out and think, I don't want things. I'll ask God, help me get myself out of things. Hmm? Out of these things. <laughs> out of this thing called samsara. Hmm? So now, how, how interesting will that be to God? That person is saying, all right, I realized I can't have everything. I wanted everything. God give me this, God, I realized that was, a that was folly. So I don't want anything, so I don't want to do anything. It's like, if I can't have everything, I won't do anything. Hmm? I just want to sit and be. So, okay, well, that's interesting, but it doesn't have a lot to do with me, God is saying. You want to be, you want to exist in an enduring sense, and you do, you are a unit of enduring existence. Okay, so you're a little wiser than the other guy, but, you know, you have a want too. Hmm? One wanted to get the world, one wanted to get away from the world. Hmm? What does that have to do with me? <laughs> that was Krishna saying. One wanted the world, the other wanted to get away from the world. Yeah, I'm not in the world. <laughs> I'm, I'm otherworldly. So your interest is not really in a very deep sense otherworldly. It's more trying to get away from the problem. So you have to go take it. Take it. And, and, and be blessed. You've, you've taken up yoga and as a means to live eternally and to, and to, to transcend attachments and so forth noble idea in one sense alright so you got it you get the grace you did Ishwar Pranidhan he blessed you you're successful in your yoga and you can sit forever hmm? but this isn't making the Brahman dance do you understand I mean it's just like that's not real is anybody interested in what I'm doing he's thinking what my life is about so Bhakti is like takes interest in that that gets Krishna's attention. Hmm. They're interested in that. And what, what, what turns me on? And what turns me on? The love. And how much love is in there? Is there in give me things? Get me away from things. Hmm? If I come to your house and, 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 and you're a wealthy person and a very intelligent person and you realize I'm there, I'm saying all kinds of nice things, but you realize... You just want some, some of my things, you know. So, you know, I'll tell you what, what you do is take some things. Why don't you do that, okay? And hit the road, okay? Have a good time. You know, I mean, that's how you basically feel about it. Then you realize, 
The guy wants your knowledge so that he could, like, he maybe even surpass you in business or something like that. He's there to figure out what is it that he does that enables him to make that kind of money. What are his investments? And so that's what he wants. So how attracted are you to that person? <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you what, here, take some stick to knowledge and go ahead, go ahead and make some money, you know. See you later. So this, but if somebody comes to your house and, and says, the, the, the fact that you have things and that you have money is not why they're there, because you are what you are, and, they, and you're lovable. And, they, and, and then you say, hey, why don't you take some things and take my knowledge and, and everything. And, and, and in other words, what's mine is yours. Hmm? This is how you respond. Hmm? You understand? And so when we approach with love, and for its own sake, this softens that Brahman who's everywhere immovable. He starts to melt. Hmm? Melt. And by the force of bhakti, this melting, if you will, is, is, is movement that we call lila. Hmm? And Brahman is dancing to the, to the Achilles heel of the end, is the absolute. It's, it's very nice because. If you want things, you want power, really. If you want knowledge of eternality and yogic power to control everything and so forth, you know, that's one thing. But in love, you don't want any power, but how much power is there in love? <laughs> By the power of affection, you see, Krishna is God. Not because he has four heads like Brahma, not because he can live only dressed in ashes like Shiva, in great austerity. Hmm? Yeah. The power of austerity, we can rule over somebody with that. By austerity, you can get power. I met a guy once and I was talking about these things and he said, you know, he had long dreadlocks, a nice guy, and he said, I think I, you know, I like what you said, I'd like to maybe join your ashram. I said, well, you may try then. You know? and he said, but the only thing is I'd have to cut off my hair. I said, well, we do cut off our hair, that's true, but what's the problem? He said, well, all my power is in my hair. I said, you see, you don't get it. <laughs> We're not about getting power. We're about serving the one who's actually got power, whatever power you've got in your hair. <laughs> However great it is, <laughs> it's nothing <laughs> compared to what... The, the, you know, the, the Godhead. So we're not interested in his power, we're interested in him. Hmm? Something like that. Hmm? So this has power. Do you understand? This, has, this, has, this is real currency. Hmm? If you want to have currency and have negotiation with the Absolute, Bhakti is the currency. That, that is purchasing power in transcendence. Therefore, it is said, Bhukti Mukti Siddhi Kami Sakali Ashanta Krishna Bhakti Nishka Mata Ivashanta Bhukti Mukti Siddhi Kami Kami means desire Desire for Bhukti, for things Desire for Mukti Freedom, salvation hmm? Siddhi hmm? Powers Bhukti Mukti Siddhi Kami Sakali Ashanta You will never be peaceful hmm? With any of these desires percolating in the heart Krishna Bhakti Nishkam Krishna Bhakti means no desire, nishkam, no desire. That person can be peaceful. Hmm? That person can have current has currency, purchasing power, hmm? in transcendence. 
And with purchasing power and transcendence, in other words, if you have power to purchase, I'm just using an example, real estate and transcendence, then you really have power to get out of the jailhouse of material, you know, of, of your mind. So to speak, there might be other ways to try to get out, make a break by some force of power of yoga or something. Hmm? Break out of the world of the mind. Hmm? But bhakti is a very different approach and it doesn't require anything. You don't have to have a lot of power. You have to cry, that's all. You have to be a little humble. Sometimes people say, well, you may, maybe you need religion as a crutch. You know, I say, well, yeah, maybe you do, but you don't recognize it. We are small in the face of the world here. Hmm? And so many births, and you cannot even remember them. Hmm? You're like, you're like, but just got dropped off in the ocean. Think about it. How are you going to get to the shore? Hmm? And you just swim? Hmm? <laughs> well, you can try. <laughs> you can try. But if there's help, if there's rope, hmm? this Bhagavan extends rope. He extend. He sends love letter. That is Bhagavad Gita. Here's a love letter. Love me. Don't, and I'll come through to, for you. I guarantee that. He says, mm, twice to, to Arjuna and Gita. What does he say? Manmanabhava madbhukto madhyaji mam namaskuru mamai vaishyasi sattam te pratijani priyosime pratijani priyosime I love you. He said, be devoted to me. I love you. I never fail you. Hmm? I promise you. Hmm? We've tried to love. We found many false promises. But as I said earlier, we should not think that love is not central to reality. It is. So bhakti is a metaphysical if you will, uh, worldview, doctrine uh, that, uh, that posits the possibility of realizing love, wise love and transcendence. And this power of this love is what makes Brahman move. It turns Brahman on. In other words, it's an interest in what you're about, not what I'm about. Hmm? And then you become part of that What's that life? Think about it. We all have a life. So it, what I'm saying is that reality is a person. That's what I'm saying. Think of it like that. You know, like, the, the, like what's that guy? Love, 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 love joy? Who posited the, the Gaia theory? Love, luck, love, luck. The world is an organism. You know that? Gaia? That's it world is an or the earth is an organism it was a kind of a metaphysical way of looking at the at the, at the world and so forth so I'm saying something like existence is a person it's just not us hmm? we're part of that person hmm? it's consciousness and consciousness has personality has life think of it like this let's take the Sun Maybe I gave this example earlier. I don't remember, but let's take the sun. And we're like a ray of the sun. Okay? So the ray of the sun is the sun, right? But it's different than the sun, too. I mean, we could have a ray of the sun in the room and we'd be okay. But if we had the sun in the room, we'd fry. Hmm? So there's a, there's, a, there's a difference between the ray and the sun. And there's a, there's a unity between the ray and the sun. They're, they're one and they're, they're different at the same time. Hmm? So we're like the ray of the sun. Now, the sun is different, and 
It's got a life. Here we experience the rays of the sun, but it's got its own life. It's got these nuclear explosions going on all the time. Every now and then it's like a solar flare. Now it's solar flare time, so solar flares come. These are like avatars. I'm using an analogy here. So the absolute is exploding by the influence of bhakti, and emotional life of the absolute is, is coming out and descending an avatar. About this aspect of, of the absolute, about this aspect, another one, and so forth. Hmm? So there's a there's an extraordinary there's a life in the sun. Hmm? You got to become fire to go there, though. <laughs> you got to become like a ray to go there. So we have to realize the difference between ourselves and matter. Hmm? That we're like a ray of the sun. Then we have the possibility to go there by bhakti, and then bhakti is for entering into those explosions and so forth. The exploding light, and we call this Leela. Mm. So in that Leela, Bhakti is the driving force. And Radha, who you asked about, is the, is the full like personification of Bhakti. Mm. Mm. And, and Bhakti has, when we talk about Krishna, it means Bhakti has the upper hand. Brahman that's everywhere has become like like medium size. It's hard to, in other words, for intimacy, takes on a finite-like appearance. It's not finite, but it appears finite. Now there's a possibility of intimacy in love. Hmm? So, there's a kind of illusion, therefore, in this idea that God comes under. Hmm? Just like in love, we come under an illusion. Right? It's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> It, in, in love, as I said this morning, your faults become ornaments. Everyone else is looking and saying, those are faults, Swami. And I say, oh, they look like ornaments to me. Who's right? Which, which is real? Hmm? Do you understand? Love is an illusion that we, we would love to have. Hmm? Something like that. So, <laughs> so Krishna looks like a fault. Hmm? You're going to say God is a blue guy with the, the flute? And, you know, it's like, how can, it looks like a fault. Hmm? But no, <laughs> no. If you understand properly, oh, this is a very extraordinary thing that we're talking about. This is Satchidananda condensed. Hmm? He was everywhere, moving. Hmm? Who owns everything? Stealing. Uh, you know, Krishna's always stealing things. <laughs> so so uh, there was a guy this is on, the, on the side for a moment, if you'll allow me. Two, two policemen in India, they're having a conversation, and one said to the other one, you know, it's really a problem that our God, Krishna, is a thief. Because here we're trying to, you know, tell people don't steal, and our God's a thief. So the other guy said, no, no, that's a great thing that he's a thief. He said, why? He said, because a thief does not care for high walls and locked doors, and that's what we've erected around a heart. Hmm? He comes anyway. This is Krishna. Hmm? He's, 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 this is Brahman, who's unapproachable, unapproachable, has melted by his devotee's love. Hmm? And, 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 and he's going after the heart of anyone who's become remotely interested in him hmm? by the influence of another devotee. He's going there in the form of his name, Nam. The Nam goes there, hmm? does it? Even if you don't want it to. <laughs> he steals in there. Hari! 
means to steal. He's a thief. This is the kind of thief he is, to steal the heart. Hmm? He goes in the heart. Not only goes in the heart, he through the locked doors and over the high walls, but he sweeps it out. As I said, he cleans it out first. Then he steals the heart. Hmm? So these are very charming theological ideas, and there's a huge theological, philosophical, underpinning, metaphysical uh, background to all those little pictures of Krishna and stuff. Is that what I'm saying? It means more than what it, what it, what it looks like at, at, at first. So, so what I'm saying is that Krishna is God in illusion, a kind of a divine ignorance. Hmm? He actually thinks that I'm, I'm your friend. Hmm? That's who I am. The yogis are looking at him like, you're God, you're God for God's sake. Hmm? So there are different perspectives depending on how he's approached. So this illusion that then has part Radha's love, Bhakti is fueling this leela, making this leela possible. In the drama, the drama starts. Now in a drama, there has to be, oh, there has to be like, change the stage, you know, change the scenery, and so forth. So there's this other kind of a shakti of Krishna, we call yoga maya. Maya, it's very interesting to, 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 the, to, the, 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 uh, to put together two words, yoga and maya, because yoga is meant for conquering over maya, <laughs> over illusion. Hmm? So to put them together is uh, an odd combination. Hmm? But yoga maya means a divine kind of maya, a divine kind of illusion, the kind of illusion that love affords, so to speak, which is, you know, the one you want, in, in, in a sense, uh, and because it enables you to see all things really as they are, because there are no faults. Hmm? There are no faults. Everything is perfect. In love, you can see like that. Are you an illusion? Huh? You don't see the faults? Uh, let me list them to you, Swami. There are so many. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't see it like that. Yeah, that's not a fault. Look at it like this. Look at it like that. He's so, love is 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 is, is, is an illusion that's, that's desirable, so to speak. Hmm? Um, it resolves all contradictions. So, in the leela, then, fueled by love, by bhakti, hmm? this yoga maya, this power, if you will, this shakti of yoga maya. It is a, it is a, creates a, it, it creates an illusion that facilitates, let us say, the divine illusion for the intimacy between uh, Krishna and his devotees, like a stagehand or something like that. Yoga Maya is like a shadow of Krishna. Wherever Krishna goes, she's like shadowing and anticipating his desire in the leela in relation to his devotee and then facilitating it by manifesting various. Uh, props, if you will, in the Leela. Hmm? So while Radharani, in, in the sense of being Bhakti Devi, the, the, the Devi, goddess of Bhakti, is, is, is making the whole thing possible, on a secondary level, Yoga Maya is a Shakti that's assisting in the details. There wouldn't be the drama if it weren't for Bhakti. Hmm? You understand? And Radha, once there is a drama, then there's a necessity of other things, other Shaktis, in order for it to, to play out, something like that. Does that help? Uh, the part I don't understand is that Kamsa starts to kill the sister of Krishna. She <laughs> leaps in the air, she's really powerful, and just transcends the 
says that feminine demigod manifestations like Durga and Kali come from her. Yeah. And so my Good. problem is, is that I was reading in the thousand names of Radharani that seven or eight of them are Radharani is the wife of Shiva. Durga. So Radharani is the wife of Shiva in the thousand names, and that would be a manifestation of Durga Maya or Durga or Kali. Yeah. Well, you're crossing over a couple of different leelas there, but but the point is this: that I said that bhakti is the primary shakti of Bhagwan. So all other shaktis are derived from Radha. Therefore, the Maya shakti that we may be under the influence of is like the shadow of bhakti in this world. So the goddess. Durga, Kali, that presides over the non-yoga Maya. <laughs> this is a particular manifestation of Radha also, because she's just like if Krishna is the fountainhead of all avatars, hmm? Radha is the fountainhead of all shaktis. With every avatar, there's a shakti that corresponds, right? Hmm? Is the idea. There's a feminine counterpart, right? So that's the shakti side. Hmm? So Radha is the fountainhead of all shaktis and Krishna is the fountainhead of all, all avatars. So with regard to the, 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 the shakti that governs material existence and, the, and, the, and the, the illusion that it affords, this is presided over by Kali, by Durga, who is a partial manifestation of the primal shakti of Radha. Does that help? Yes. Complicated question, but... Uh, I hope I answered in such a way as to make some points that would be helpful to others not as familiar with some of the details. Yes? When the teacher asks, we're really in trouble here now. Of course, you're all teachers. Pardon? The mind. Well, Edwin's a friend of mine, but uh, I haven't read his. I have his book. You mean you, you mean his commentary on the um, Yoga Sutra? Is that what you're referring to? Yoga and potentially sutras, but um, and there's some crossover, of course, from the sutras and and the Gita. But um, so I, I would be better prepared to answer that question if I looked at what he was saying rather than the way you've presented it, but. Uh, not that you're misrepresenting it, but I maybe could get a better grasp on his point and then what your question is. But um, your question is about what concentrating the mind constitutes. What, what, is it, what constitutes 
concentrating the mind. If the mind doesn't stop, um, but it refocuses. Like Gita, for example, has said the mind, the idea is given of um, um, like a lamp in a windless place, something like that. Keep bringing the mind back. Keep bringing the mind back. Um, I guess I'm having a little trouble understanding exactly what the question is. I mean, how to concentrate the mind, or what does concentration constitute? If it's not stopping the mind, it's, it's stopping the world that the mind's focused on. <laughs> Yeah, these are, well, these are, okay, these are ways of employing language to talk about things that don't lend themselves to language. So it's kind of um, figurative. We could say to stop the mind, or we could talk about it in, in, in another way. But um, the, uh, the idea of it is, is that, um, well, in bhakti, let me talk about it from that perspective. In bhakti, what we do is we, in a sense, we don't try to stop the mind. But in bhakti, as I said earlier, the bhakti vritti comes on the mind rather than the worldly vritti. And in Baba, this, if you take an iron rod and you stick it in the fire, then you pull it out and I touch you with it, you won't say, why are you touching me with that iron rod? You say, you burned me. So the, fire, the iron rod is acting like the fire, although it's not the fire. So we have this mind, and we, in bhakti, we, we invite Bhagwan into the mind, so to speak, for example, in the form of the name, and in time, the shakti that bhakti is constituted of is so well-rooted in the mind that it takes over the mind and it starts to play the mind for us. Hmm? And then all of our thinking and so forth and subsequent actions are moved by a bhakti-saturated uh, mind. So in a sense, in bhakti, the object is not to even metaphorically or figuratively speaking stop the mind, but have the mind arrested by bhakti. Hmm? These are, of course, this is figurative language. The mind is now arrested by, by maya shakti hmm? and, uh, and, and stealing away our, uh, you know, our real prospect in life, like I said the other night, the mind is like a thief that after robbing the bank runs down the street and says, somebody robbed the bank, somebody robbed the bank. Everybody, which way did he go? And so forth. So the mind is, is sometimes compared like this to a thief. You've got to stop the mind from stealing, so to speak. <laughs> so uh, uh, there are different ways, that I suppose, to talk about the, the, the mechanism or the, the details of, of what's happening whether it's stopping the mind or the freeing the mind from being arrested by another influence. So we invited the influence of bhakti into the mind. Hmm? Now we can say the mind is under the... I want to say mind is under the influence of maya shakti, but the mind is constituted of maya shakti. So we're a little hindered by language, I suppose, to talk about it. Yeah, well, yeah, there's two things there. 
in bhakti, though, as I said, the mind becomes arrested, so the body becomes arrested by bhakti. So your body becomes not like gold, but like a gold-plated box. Hmm? So I say so I have a material body, but uh, but but it it, it doesn't it ceases to fu- function like one, or it functions otherwise as well. So if you take a box and gold-plate it, well, it looks like a gold box. It's gold-plated, we say, because the organism itself will will pass away. Hmm? But then again, if you protect, perfect your bhakti, hmm? then what do we do with the body of someone who has perfected their bhakti? Hmm? Then you put that in a, in, a, in, a, in like a tomb, they call it a samadhi, and it's a, it's a, it comes a holy place. If you, ta- you, you take the picture of a saint who's passed away and you keep it on your altar or something like that, because that form hmm, was a form in which, for example, bhakti was matured and the body was taken over by bhakti, and so, so it becomes eternal in a sense and venerable and worshipable. That's one side. We call that sadaka deha. But in our school of bhakti, there's another body also, an internal body that that manifests. Hmm? So that's another thing. I think Prabhupada was talking about the sadaka day. Its senses become spiritual. Its mind becomes spiritual. What do I mean by that? You say, well, it's spiritual, Swami, but it's, you know, it's getting old and uh, you're wearing glasses, you know, so how spiritual are your eyes there, you know? It should be better than 2020 and so forth. It means that they're not used, the senses, for anything other than bhakti. Hmm? That's a very different affair. If I use my eyes, my ears, my tongue, and so forth, only for bhakti, hmm? then what makes something material, I mean, what is it? If, if, I, if I have a house, and I have a house and have a beer party in it, it's one thing. If I have a temple inside of it, it's the same building, hmm? but it's, it's, it has a whole different purpose. Hmm? So... It, bhakti, in effect, is an effort to uh, to spiritualize the world, in a sense, hmm? to bring our senses in touch with objects that are of a spiritual nature. Therefore, see, bhakti is very user, user friendly. That's why, for example, you know, you can you can eat in bhakti. You can offer prepare nice food, offer to Krishna, then eat. It's, you're not eating then ordinary food, or you listen to music, but it's the chanting. Hmm? So you're doing something that you might want to do anyway, but it's suddenly become taken on a spiritual um, character. And so in time, those senses, ears and eyes and mind all become spiritualized. That means they become naturally attracted. They don't go other than to bhakti. Now they're being drawn here or there by, by, by the maya shakti. Hmm? They're not drawn for here. They're... they're, they're Naturally drawn to to objects, spiritual sense objects. It seems Yeah. 
It's a withdrawal. It's a withdrawal. You withdraw. It's a dynamic withdrawal. You're withdrawing the senses, not for the sake of withdrawing them, but to but to utilize them positively. So that's why Ashtanga Yoga culminates in Shantarasa. That's the highest ideal you can attain in 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 Ashtanga Yoga, Vaikuntam. Krishna, Krishnamacharya, the guru of Iyengar, and Patabi Joyce, two famous yogis in the world, he openly stated, the goal of, of yoga is Vaikuntam. Vaikuntam means to enter into, into, into reverential lila, lila where the god is worshipped in reverence, in meditation. Shantarasa. Shantarasa means that, in, that to sit forever hmm, and meditate like on a beatific vision of Narayan. Hmm. This is the stated goal of the Baguru, of both of those two famous uh, uh, yogis. I think one of them, Patavi Joyce, passed away some, some years ago. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, in that, uh, Shantaras is a kind of bhakti, hmm, reverential bhakti, but the senses are all withdrawn. Therefore, the Anubhavs are like this. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's a big subject, but that it's all... Anubhavs, certain satpikubhavs will come in that. Particular um, sanchari bhavs will be experienced and so forth. Anubhavs are outwardly expressed, they can be seen. So, they, 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 the penchant for studying the Upanishads, to sit in the solitary place. These are Anubhavs of Shantarasa. Those are all for bhakti mixed with Astanga Yoga. Mixing bhakti, Vishwar Pranidhan means to mix bhakti in the context of. <coughs> of um, Ashtanga Yoga. You can attain by Kuntam. Hmm? Bhakti in our school begins more in what they call Dasirasa. So it's active. Hmm? And the senses have their application and so forth. You're right. Yes. said, for example, um, the, the name of Krishna is chanted by his devotees, so it goes everywhere. It's kind of like fire, it doesn't matter what you think, if you touch it, you'll get burned. Hmm? So, if, 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 for example, you could see that person, hmm? you could say, I just came from this place, I heard a Swami here, I brought this sweet, you take this, you say, <laughs> his life is, he's in trouble then. You know, if you, it starts something like that. Huh? So in bhakti, you see, we're able to love other people. Hmm? It's hard to do it in in in, in the Ganmarg or yoga marg. You're supposed to be alone most of the time. But in bhakti, you can we love other people in the context of loving Krishna. So if if loving, if our we have a if we have a friendship with another that will help foster my love for Krishna, my pursuit of it. 
then this is an auxiliary, becomes ultimately an auxiliary bhava that, that, that fosters the, the primary bhava of a relationship with Krishna. I'm talking about, I think, bringing it on a lower level. But um, So, so how, how will Krishna go to that person? Through you. Because you love that person, right? Hmm? So if you have love for Krishna, and then you love somebody else, well, Krishna loves that person too, because Krishna loves you. This is how, how love works. Hmm? If I love you, and I find that you really love somebody else, I think, well, who is that? Bring that person here. You know, what can I do? That's, this is natural. So, so the devotee, actually, where is God? Where is Krishna? Hmm? <laughs> Krishna's in the heart of his devotee more than anywhere else. That's where he resides. Hmm? You know, he says, sadhava, 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 what is it? Sadhavam hridayam. I am the hearts of the, my devotees, and they are my heart. And so, so the devotee becomes the bearer of Krishna hmm? and brings Krishna to places where he might not go otherwise, so to speak. Uh, you know, you have even, on a lower level, you have attachment to a person, uh, you know, a relative or a close friend or something like that. They have no interest in spiritual life. You want the best for them and you feel like you found something very wonderful you want to share with them. They're not that interested, but still, hmm, your interest in them brings Krishna's interest to them. Now, you know, you also have to, in, in spiritual life, you have to live in a bigger world view. You have to see that Things, small things have a big beginning, have a big end. Small beginnings have a big end. A small approach of a person giving them some opportunity for bhakti will have a big end, but it might take some time. So you have to, we have the, those who have experience, they have confidence. Yeah, I'll touch them with bhakti. See you next life. Hmm? <laughs> I'll be around, you'll be there. And you, what will your position be then? It'll be so much better. The, We'd like to see everything happen now, but hmm, it's always now, so. <laughs> so, what else? Another question? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's very practical. and that, that, That's why I say that bhakti is very user-friendly because it doesn't tell you to give up things but to kind of tweak them a little bit and how you use them and, and, to, and how to center them. So, uh, you know, we do... Uh, we... Krishna says in the Gita, for example, Patram Pushpam Palam Toyam Yome Bhakti Prayachati Tadam Bhakti Paritam Mashnami Prayatatmanaha. It says, if you offer me a fruit, a flower, or a leaf, or water, I will accept that bhakti. Hmm? And some of the implications of this are that 
that one's life should become bhakti because one can't live without water and so um, you have to be in touch with water, offer water. So, and, and with regard to food, for example, the implication of this, if you study the grammar and so forth, is that the advocacy is that your food is life, right? Food is life. Anamoy. Hmm? Food is life. So um, it's advocated that we grow our own food hmm? in bhakti. It's, we live in an industrial society, so it's not always easy, but as far as possible, we should gravitate towards whenever we eat, that we are involved in the, in the, ideally in this planting of the seed, in the growing of it, at least in the preparing of it, rather than just buying what somebody else has prepared, because our whole consciousness is going into everything that we do, if it goes into the seed and the plant and then the preparation and so forth, and then we offer the food to Krishna before we eat it. I mean, he doesn't, he eats the offering, I mean, the love that goes into it. So if it's, if you've grown the whole thing and you, you put your whole life into it. So, so you can, so that's a very nice concept with regard to eating. It's very practical. Everyone has to eat, as I say. And to eat, we have to kill. Right? Even plants. Hmm? But now, if you're growing that plant only for Krishna, what a life that plant has. You see, it's better than your life. <laughs> its whole life is living only to give its fruits to Krishna, and you're the medium. There's, a, there's consciousness inside that plant life, too. It lived a life, its whole life, that carrot's whole life, growing only to be offered to Krishna. That's a special carrot. Hmm? Huh? And you're the medium for that. So it's just like spiritualizing the whole, you know, everything you touch, you see. The more that what you touch and what you do is, becomes an offering. So you can use cooking, for example, in Krishna's service. And we all cook, or we all eat. Hmm? And so with music as well, obviously we're using music. There are many different uh, chants, and there are many different ragas for different times that, of, the, of the day, that that you could learn I mean, it's, that would be classical Indian music and so forth. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be like that. But the point is, in a generic sense, you could use your material, musical propensities in serving Krishna. Why not? Hmm? And so, uh, with all our propensities, with a little guidance from a guru, then you can learn how to use those propensities. You could make uh, you, you could make spiritual music. Yeah. Hmm? Why not? Does that help? Yeah. So, what is the time? So, it's been nice to meet with you all, and um, and I hope I've been able to help in some ways to understand yoga from the bhakti uh, perspective. And uh, I live in California. I live. In Costa Rica, I live in Asheville, North Carolina. We have ashrams there, communities. But you come and visit and spend some time with me. You're welcome to come. We have very nice rural settings. Our products are all uh, sustainable projects. We have our own dairy or grow our own food and our own rice, uh, everything. So, um, and we do these kind. We have these kind of talks all the time and. 
chanting. It's very, they're very beautiful settings, so you're welcome to come and spend some time there. And, uh, and help me, please. <laughs> Keep asking me questions. That helps me. I say things I've never said before. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.